Hello, welcome to Footnotes from a Madman. I am your host, Robert Wallace. Today is June 14th, and we are recording episode 55. Um, our last episode, the last episode that I did, um, I, we did the Moneyest, and, and I got a really good response from that. So I'm going to do it one more time. So today we're going to just read through some uh, moneyest um, columns or uh, letters and his responses. And again, I have no affiliation with the moneyest. Um, Quentin Fotrell, um, he is the moneyest um, with Market Watch, and he gives a lot of um, financial advice. Um, when you go to his website, he, he'll talk about personal finance. He'll talk about spending and saving, retirement, um, real estate, credit cards. So um, pretty much any uh, life money questions you have. Um, he seems to give pretty good advice from the things that I read. So today I'm going to just randomly choose um, columns or questions. I haven't read them in advance, so I don't know what they're about. And I'm going to give my opinion, which may or may not match up with his. I'm not a financial analyst or a moneyist <laughs> um, but sometimes it's fun just to see if your thinking is the same as other people out there so um, so let's go ahead and get started so this one here I'm not going to read the the preliminary part I'm just going to go straight to the letter my girlfriend and I have been in a relationship for seven months, and it is getting more serious. I don't expect us to get married in the next year, but I'd like to plan ahead. And if things keep working out, I do see us getting married in two or three years. Finances are important to me, and I know finances should be looked at without emotion. However, emotions and money do collide. I get nervous when I read things like the divorce rate is 50% and rising which is not accurate. Both our parents married in their mid to late 20s and are still together. But I've seen family friends that have split and both parties are financially worse off. I'm concerned with some of my girlfriend's financial habits. I don't want what I am building and hopefully one day what she and I are building to be affected by them. A little background. I'm a 27-year-old male, and I will make 90000 this year before bonus. My income is steadily growing as I grow my career. I have $100,000 in different investments and no debt whatsoever. Finances and planning for my future are important to me. Money is not everything, but it is a tool that helps us navigate life. I have great plans for myself. I want to purchase investment property, grow my investment portfolio, and so on. My parents did help with college, but the loans I did have after graduating paid off quickly. 
I lived at my parents' home for two and a half years after college. I purchased a car with cash, well below my means, and I saved well. You get the point. She is 24 years old and recently graduated with her master's degree in special education. She will soon start teaching, is on her way to a great career as well. We have a lot of similar interests and love spending time together. She is a dream. I love her, but I am concerned. She is not financially savvy or financially motivated like me. Most of her education has been paid for by her parents, but she does have some student loans. She mentioned her student loans and how after 10 years, the government will forget, forgive all of them. So all she has to do is pay the minimum for 10 years and the government will do the rest. That made me concerned, so I asked to look into them with her and after doing so, found out there are tons of hurdle, hurdles to get her loans forgiven after 10 years. I tried to explain some of the hurdles. I don't know if it's denial or what, but it's... Worrying to me that she doesn't see that her loans won't be forgiven, especially after she gets married and files jointly. I am a little upset that she doesn't see the bigger picture. I spoke up about how she should pay off her student loans as quickly as possible so she accrues as little interest as possible. Also, she doesn't have a ton of expenses, so she should pay them off. So when things like kids come up, she isn't worried about her loan. She's still doesn't understand. This is a long letter. She also moved into an expensive apartment above her means, so the idea that she doesn't understand finances keeps scaring me. I've made mistakes myself. I'm still learning as well, but I feel like I was much further along than she was at 24. That said, she has started saving based on our conversations. She still drives an older car that is fully paid off, doesn't have any interest in buying something new anytime soon. So she does make some good financial decisions. If we get married, I don't want her financial mistakes to impact what I plan to grow. What are your thoughts? I'm also concerned about divorce. I know that is a bad or weird way to think, especially at a young age. And because both our family histories are stable, it is a risk. What if I start a small real estate company and purchase rental properties and then we get divorced? So instead of growing the business, I would have to sell a property or two to give her what she earned. Or could I end up selling my houses and start from scratch? Okay, I'm done with this. Um, it just goes on about the divorce and how nervous he is. <laughs> so here's my thing. Here's my thought. He's 27 and she's 24. He makes a lot more money than she does. And being a special ed teacher, she's not going to make that much money. Um, they do great work. They, do, they are wonderful people. They are committed. But they do not make very much money. She's probably going to make 40000 maybe fifty. Um, so he's going to make double her every year. So he needs to come to grips with the fact that he's always going to make more money than her. He's got, he might have financial ambitions that she doesn't have and may never have. So right off the bat, he might need to consider um, doing a prenup. Um it can always be amended later on, but he he 
if he's so worried about divorce now, he might need to have a prenup. So here's my take on the 50% divorce rate. It appears statistically that people, I'll say mainstream media and whatever, they'll grab information and just post it out there and they sensationalize things. So if you have, let's go with some simple numbers. If you have 10,000 people get married in 2021 and you have 5,000 people get divorced in 2021, then they simply state that the divorce rate is 50%. And that's wholly not accurate. Um, it just happens to be the number of people who got married and the number of people who got divorced. They aren't related together. Um, you know, you would have to go back. If you wanted to know what the divorce rate is, you'd have to go back and and really pull in true information. So you would have to say of the people that got married in 2010, how many of them are still married or how many got divorced? And that's how you would figure out statistically what your divorce rate is for 2010, for the people that got married in 2010. If at any time throughout the history of their marriage, they got divorced and that ends up being 50%, then okay, you could say that the divorce rate for 2010 is 50%. But simply just grabbing numbers out of the air I mean, that's what they're going to end up doing is they're going to say in 2022, 10,000 people got married and 10,000 people got divorced. And guess what? That makes divorce 100%. That doesn't make any fucking sense. And that's where they're heading. And it's just, it's a ridiculous way of of throwing out frivolous information that makes people nervous for no reason. Um, anyway, let's go down here with her student loans. He's right. She's not going to get him forgiven, and he's not going to get her to understand it. Um, and she's going to understand it in 10 years when it doesn't happen. Um, and or she may not even understand it then. So, um, And then her apartment... She's living above her means. Um, you know, he is going to have some influence on her uh, throughout their marriage. But my guess is that um, she's always going to be kind of a burden. She's always going to be, until she takes it serious um, and learns about finances, she's always going to be behind him. And he's always going to be resentful towards her. So... My first suggestion is really pay attention to what's going on over the next couple of years, what she does with her finances, and and can you deal with that for the rest of your life? Number two, um, make sure that she's actually interested in going to where you're wanting to go financially. If she's not, you might need to cut ties. Three, if you don't want to cut ties, then you better get a prenup. Because whatever you build while you're married, she'll take half of it. So he's talking about, oh, I might have to sell some assets to give her what she wants, whatever. Nope, she's going to take 50%. So 
Um, that's my take on this. Let's see what the money assessed to say. Student loan forgiveness is complicated. It's hard to fault your girlfriend for not understanding the process. She would be one of millions. You did her a favor by looking at her repayment program in recent years. Market Watch has extensively covered the challenges nurses, teachers like your girlfriend, Social Security, and other public servants have faced, making good on the forgiveness they were promised after the 10-year period. Many of these borrowers only discovered that they were not even eligible for relief, often due to a minor but significant glitch in the process, after they had toiled away for years in a job because they believed loan forgiveness was on the horizon. You and your girlfriend can read this step-by-step guide on relief. Her annual tax filing should not affect her forgiveness as long as she is following the correct procedures. So he has a link to a step-by-step guide. She is 24 and you are 27. Three years can be a lifetime in your 20s, but not everyone operates at the same pace and has the same um, constellation of family, financial, and professional factors. There's a line and not a thin one, frankly, between helping a friend or partner manage their finances and expecting them to be somebody you're not or someone as we are. We all have quirks, qualities, and things about us that others would love to change. Exactly sure what part of that meant, but that's okay. But what can you do with? But what can you do that would be constructive? You could see a financial planner together and talk about your shared beliefs and values and financial goals. That's good, a good idea. Where you want to be when you're thirty or thirty-five, and what changes you would both have to make in order to get there. If you take this journey with her, as opposed to telling her what she's doing wrong. It will be a happier experience and will create a smoother template for the decisions you make that impact each other. As for your plans to get married and your fears about getting divorced, take a leaf out of your organizational playbook. Take one vow and contract signing at a time. You have only been together seven months. Marriage is a contract, kind of business contract. So you should get to know each other a lot better before going into the matrimonial business together. As with any new enterprise, there's an element of risk involved. In business, you have insurance policies. In marriage, you can agree to sign a prenuptial agreement. You take you take out of the marriage what you brought in it, for example, and you can also outline who is responsible for debts and how property you co-own should be divided. You acknowledge a lot of fears and concerns, and that's fine, but be mindful about imposing those concerns on others because it could eventually trickle into every aspect of your life. I'm happy you pointed out her qualities. If she has fallen a career in special education, she must have wonderful qualities, compassion, humor, discipline, and emotional strength. If you're either preacher or teacher and her, your girlfriend is wife, is, is, if you are the teacher-preacher and your girlfriend-wife is always the one who isn't doing things perfectly, you may need that prenup sooner than you have both bargained for. Just be careful that your girlfriend does not become a human receptacle for your anxieties. She may have some of her own that you would like to express and hopefully dispel that she would like to express. Well, okay, so he did touch on the prenup. I didn't think about the financial advisor. I think that's um, that's pretty good. So, um, All right, let's see. I went on a date with a great guy last week. 
We both ordered salads and entrees at a famous restaurant in Los Angeles. It was an exciting venue to meet someone for the first time. I kept my eyes peeled for bold-faced names. Believe me when I say restaurant dates have been replaced by awkward walks in the park and coffee dates at Starbucks in recent years, so it was nice to actually get dressed up and have something to look forward to. But, yes, there's a but. He ordered two glasses of wine, which cost $18 each. He had a Chardonnay with his salad and a Cabernet with his main course. I don't drink during the week and was happy to drink tap water, but I make no judgment about anybody who does choose to have a few drinks, especially on a first date. His beverages added $36 to the bill, and I waited for him to say, I'll get the tip, or you don't have to pay for your alcohol, or even, would you like me to take the wine off and pay for it separately? He did not do any of those things, including tax and tip, that probably added over $20 to my bill. I paid my half of the bill. Should I have spoken up? Is it okay to ask someone else to pay for your alcohol? So, um, I don't believe um, it didn't state it in the body of the letter, so I have to go back and read. Um, so, I had a date with a great guy. I didn't drink, but his wine added $36 to our bill. We split the check evenly, should I have spoken up. So he added $36 worth of alcohol to the bill and then split the bill evenly. Um, and so she ended up paying for one of the drinks and she didn't have any alcohol at all. Um, so here's the thing. It's a first date. Quite honestly, he shouldn't have done that. I mean, I think that that's bullshit. Um, it's rude. He, abs you know, if you're going to split... In my opinion, if you're going to split a check, split split it how you ordered. You know, if she ordered a hamburger and fries and a Coke or or water, that's what she pays for. And he ordered a, a salad, or it says they both had a salad and an entree. So it sounds to me like they were fairly even. Um, but just... Split it how you order. Just look at what you ordered and you pay for that plus your 18 or 20% tip. And the other person does the same. It's it's just simpler that way. Um, splitting it dead down the, down the middle. Um, you know, somebody's always going to end up paying more than what they got, you know. Um, I just, I don't believe in that. I hate that. When people are like, oh, let's, let's collect money and go get a pizza, you know, and you throw in 10 or $12 and you get one piece and somebody else put in $4 and they got two pieces. And it's like, it, it doesn't make, it, it's not right. It's really, it isn't the way it's supposed to be, but it always happens that way. Um, you know, or when one person's holding the check and goes, oh, you know, and there's eight of us. And they go, oh, the check's $160, so let's just split it eight. I go, nope, absolutely not, because I'm going to end up paying $50 for my $20 meal. Um, so that's just not how it's going to go down.
um, I always ask to see, and I and I put in what I bought, and then I give my twenty percent. So, um, that's what should have happened. And I think, um, while she should have spoken up right away, she should just go out with him again. And if he suggests the same thing, and she hasn't had any alcohol, she simply states, you know what, um, when we go out, if I don't have any alcohol. Um, I would appreciate it if you would cover your alcohol or, um, you know, let's split the bill by how, by what we ordered. Um, sometime when I, when we go out and I have alcohol with you, I'm, I'd be happy to split it, um, evenly. But, um, if he's drinking and she's not, she should definitely speak up. All right, let's see. Let's so he says I'll break this down into two parts: Chardonnay manners and Cabernet dreams. Let's start with the Chardonnay manners. You did what you believed to be correct. You you weighed up the thirty six dollars, ex- excluding tips and taxes, and figured it wasn't worth making a fuss, given that you liked this guy and had a nice time. But it leaves a hangover, ironically, given that you didn't have any alcohol. And residual resentment over what you perceive to be his lack of consideration. Definitely. Go on a second date, and if you see a pattern of penny-pinching, show him the door to the wine cellar. Now on to the Gabernet dreams. What should he have done? If he were writing to this column, I would say offer to pay for the beverages, and if she refuses, tip 20%, ensure that your date does not add a tip. He did not do that. Yes, it's a bit rich to expect someone to pay for your drinks. One glass of wine, I would let it slide. Two glasses of wine, I'd be on the fence just like you. Three glasses of wine, I'd say, I'm not paying for your wine, Buster. And I'd say it with a smile. As an aside, if your date invited you for dinner and chose the restaurant, it's generally accepted that he should at least offer to pay. Um, There was a survey conducted 300,000 people said 63% of men said they should absolutely pay on a first date while only 46% of women agreed men should pay. In other words, it's nice to offer, but you can also decline and insist on going Dutch, preferably without paying for his alcohol. On a scale of one to 10 of bad dinner date stories, yours was a three. I've seen some 10s where people got suckered. I'm paraphrasing this little quick little paragraph. People got suckered, you know, what have you. Um, Then there are tales of people who spend their time arguing over which friend paid for what dish. See, you can't do this shit. You like this guy and still have time to set the ground rules. Next time you will be prepared Be nice, be clear, be assertive. They are all attractive qualities. All right, let's do one more before the break. I received $130,000 inheritance from my mother. My husband says it's mine to spend. What should I do with it and why do I feel so guilty? So I have to read that part because apparently the last one didn't have it in the body of their letter. My dilemma involves a small inheritance that I have recently received upon my mother's passing. It's about $130,000. I need advice about what to do with it. $130,000 is not 
a small inheritance. A little background. My husband has been very diligent about our retirement savings over the years, and although we might not be considered wealthy, we are comfortable and have a secure future. This is due to his military career and years of government service, which will result in two annuities, and this is before Social Security, which neither of us plan on taking until 67. He also has a 401k, a Roth IRA, and participates in the government thrift savings plan. Plan. Wow. The bottom line is that our retirement is quite secure, and the addition of this inheritance will not make or break it. However, it could do something wonderful for me, which would allow me to quit working. I have traveled the world supporting his military and government career, and because of that, I have had to reinvent myself for whatever job I was able to get at each station. I've been a willing participant, but this hasn't really been my choice. I now believe I can quit office work because of this windfall. My husband assures me that we do not need the inheritance for retirement. However, our current monthly expenses do necessitate me contributing $1,000 a month until his military retirement kicks in at age 59 and a half, which is in two years. In the meantime, I can use the funds to continue contributing to the household, plus save some for our daughter's wedding, a nice vacation for our family, and keep some aside for emergencies very easily without having to do office work. I can free myself for volunteering and creative pursuits that I have denied for so many years. I believe my mother would be pleased with this use of her money. My husband is on board. Why is it that I feel so guilty about making this change? Um, All right, so sounds like they're pretty well set. And so, I mean, her husband is just saying, it's your money, that's fine, which I think is very generous of him, you know? He's just like, whatever, it's yours. Don't even worry about it. So what she needs to do is she needs to set aside the $1,000 a month for the next two years. So she absolutely needs to set aside $24,000 um, or twenty five, because you know how things... Uh, inflation and whatever. So she sets sets aside $25,000 for the monthly expenses for the next two years. She then also sets aside somewhere between twenty-five dollars and $50,000 for emergencies. Um, and I'm guess, guesstimating. Um, she needs to figure out what their financial expenses are every every month. And then set aside that amount. I think that that's something that really needs to be done. You should always have six months worth of expenses in an emergency fund. So, um, you know, it can be random. You can just say, I'm going to put aside, you know, 25000 or I'm going to put aside 50000 All right. So depending on which one she chooses to do, now she's... Um, used up or she's got saved between 50 and 75,000. Um, don't contribute too much to your daughter's wedding. I mean, meaning don't let her go overboard just because you have $60,000 available. She'll blow that in a second. And cause weddings are expensive and they're stupid. So if you are going to 
contribute, that's one thing. If you're going to pay for it all, you should have a strict budget. Um, taking your family on vacation, that would be awesome. So yes, she absolutely should quit her job. Uh, I'm assuming that her insurance is through her husband with his military. If it's not, that's something that she needs to consider before she quits. Um, you know, if she has her own insurance and she's not on his, then she can't just up and quit. So um, that's something to consider. So she really needs to just sit down with her husband again, make sure finality, everything is good, um, and then go for it. I think that she's just feeling guilty that she's going to be able to do whatever she feels like doing. So um, she needs to do it. Uh, all right. When you have spent your life being a good mother, a good wife, a good daughter, and a good person overall, and have cooperated and acquiesced and supported others, it's a change of perspective to have the means and freedom to turn all that energy on yourself. It may feel strange, and your sense of guilt could be that you don't feel like you deserve this, but I am here to tell you, as your husband has done, that you deserve it, you always have. You're now using a different muscle. It's the, I have one life to live and my family has grown and our household is secure and my options are limitless muscle. Millions of women at your age faced with this new role and not all have the $130,000 in extra savings to enter this new chapter. All of your energies have gone into making sure other people are well and happy. Now you have the opportunity to turn that energy and creativity and financial support on yourself. You are young, assuming you Two, are in your 50s. Keep at least six months of expenses in an emergency fund. That will be easy given your financial stability and how you have both diligently saved for retirement. Perhaps consider buying bonds with the U.S. Treasury. Hate bonds. I don't agree with that at all. There are currently inflation adjusted. Oh, that are currently adjusted. The minimum holding period is five years. Invested portion in a three or six month CD. CDs are shitty or high-yield interest-bearing account, and the rest in a brokerage or investment account to earn more over time. Ah, she's going to end up... Yeah, anyway. Larry Pond, a financial planner based in Redwood City, California, suggests that you and your husband each purchase $10,000 in I-bonds from the U.S. Treasury. They are currently paying 9.62% risk-free, and no tax is due until they're cashed in. Whoa, I better write that down. I-bonds. I'm, seriously, I'm going to write that down. I-bonds. Um, I-bonds from the U.S. Treasury. See, now you know for sure that I don't read these ahead of time because 9.62%. <laughs> I wonder what the time period is on that. Huh. He also suggests setting aside part of the 130000 for a vacation or long-awaited home improvements, maxing out your retirement plan contributions, but he also urges caution. It's very easy to spend $130,000. That is true. Put the monthly contributions for the two-year period in a separate account with a standing order to transfer $1,000 a month to your household account. By your 50s, this government accountability office analyst says... You should have saved four or five times your annual salary, although most Americans in their 1550s have savings of closer to 117000 Wow. Not everyone can afford to look forward to a secure retirement and 
the joy for you will be in the planning process. You and your husband should review his retirement plans, total balances, how they are invested, and confirm your husband and you are comfortable with the related investment asset balances and asset class allocations in the plans. Further, as you are both under age 67, based on the facts you cite, it appears neither of you are required to presently take annual required minimum contributions from the plans. Use this windfall as an opportunity to review your existing living arrangements. Have you paid off your home? Do you need to live in a home this size? Are you happy there? Does this allow you to stay in a larger home where you've created so many memories? What expenses can you cut down on to, to anticipate your husband's retirement? Would you like to go to college, take courses, get a, get a degree? Um, what brought you joy as a child, art, drama, reading, or working in the community? What places would you like to visit? This is your time. I hope you enjoy every minute of it. So I was not on board with those bonds at first, but hmm, I'm going to look into that. That was uh, very interesting. That was the other thing. She doesn't say if their house is paid for. That could be part of the $1,000 that she has to put towards, um, you know, and so... That'd be the other thing. It's like, all right, so you owe thirty or forty thousand dollars on your house. Um, maybe you just take the thirty or forty thousand dollars and pay off the house, and that's now you don't have to do a thousand dollars a month. You just move on. You know, um, that'd be something great for your husband as well. You both get to share in on the money. So, all right, I bonds the U.S. Treasury. Look into it. All right, let's take a 10-second break. Okay. Uh, let's go on to our next one here. I'm a 53-year-old single man with very little savings. I want to take out a 30-year mortgage but pay it off in seven years. Is that possible? Sure. I guess it depends on the amount of money you make, but let's see what he says here. I am a 53-year-old single man with very little in savings. I paid off all my credit card debt a couple of years ago. I have now decided to purchase a home. My rent has increased to the point where it is almost as much as a mortgage, and that is why I'm purchasing a home. I'm trying to pay off the mortgage as quickly as possible. My credit union credit card allows me to make a balance transfer of 0% financing with no fee once a year. It is a very high credit limit. And I was thinking of taking that and putting it on the mortgage as a way of paying off the mortgage sooner rather than making extra payments every month to the mortgage company. If I do it this way, I can pay off the card during the year and save a lot of interest on the mortgage. My calculations for paying a weekly principal payment means the house could be paid off in less than seven years. I believe it would be a little better with making a large upfront payment. Just wanted to know your thoughts on this matter. Here are my figures. $260,000 mortgage over 30 years with monthly payments of $1,390 a month. If I pay an extra $2,500 a month, I can pay it off in about seven years. But paying $25,000 once a year may be a little faster. All right, you don't ever use a credit card to pay off a mortgage. Man, because if you miss... 
So he can transfer, so he can do a balance transfer of 0% financing with no fee once a year. But here's the rub. I mean, has a very high credit limit, but he doesn't even mention what is the interest rate on that credit card. So and I was thinking of taking that and putting it on the mortgage as a way of paying off the mortgage sooner. So he's going to have a 3% loan on a mortgage, and he's going to have a 22% loan on his credit card, and he'd rather pay towards his credit card than his mortgage. Um, I can pay off the card during the year and save a lot of interest on the mortgage. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I think if he thinks about it, he's going to pay twice as much or three times as much doing it that way. Um, I think that's a hideous idea. Um, buy the house. I get it. Um, that r rent is as much as mortgage. I absolutely understand that. He, sh he doesn't have much in savings. He really needs to put more down. He should probably wait another year and save up more a down payment. He says very little in savings. That doesn't tell you what. Your best bet is to get 2% of this house. He may be trying to jump on a house that 260 that he's found and he's just trying to figure out how to do it. But he's going to fuck himself hard. Um, it's awful. It's awful. I don't think it's a good idea. Uh, first, let's talk about your plan in principle. By taking out a 0% loan on your credit union, credit union credit card for your down payment, you are robbing Peter to pay Paul. But in this case, you are both Peter and Paul. I'm sorry to get all Dostovitsky on you, but you need to tread carefully as you risk committing yourself to both a mortgage and a loan. If you fall behind on the latter, which is the loan, you will likely face hefty repayments when that 0% interest ends. In practice, your bank, in all likelihood, and I can say with 99.9999% certainty, won't accept a credit card payment as a down payment. Your financial institution wants to know that your credit and bank account is healthy. The down payment is a vote of confidence in that and should come from your savings rather than your credit card. When you apply for a loan, the bank will also conduct a forensic examination of your finances before agreeing to a mortgage, which means they're going to look and see where any money that you have in there, where it came from. We had to do that, my wife and I, when we got... 10000 from our in-laws that we had to pay back, we had to state that it was a, a loan or a, a gift and that we did not have to pay the money back even though they made us pay it back. <laughs> um, this was 30 years ago. But anyway, our first house. I'm not the only one to sound warning bells. Dangerous curves ahead, says David Waltzer, a New York-based bankruptcy lawyer. What happens when you are late with just one payment and that zero interest rate jumps up to 18%? What happens when you have another rough period and can't pay off the card on time? Even if you make all the payments perfectly on time, this credit card companies do a regular review of your credit. Credit card companies also have a lot of small print. You plan to transfer a low balance debt to another low balance card. But what happens when that new low interest offer never arrives? Now you're unable to make a credit card payment and you will struggle with the mortgage as well. I have filed tens of thousands of bankruptcies in New York and New Jersey. Many of them were for people who tried to do what you are describing. 
Your base monthly repayments look slightly optimistic. Talk to a financial advisor about your goals and your reason for becoming a homeowner. The big missing piece here is your salary and to a lesser extent the prospect of an inheritance. Please seek the advice of an advisor before jumping in. Lay your finances, your hopes, and your dreams bare, especially where you would like to be when you reach retirement age and where you see yourself working beyond the traditional retirement age. I fully support your wish to buy a home. Let's say you work for another 15 to 20 years. You will not only have gained the equity in your home with your monthly mortgage payments, but your home will also presumably or very likely have risen in value over that time, giving you more options should you wish to cash out and move to a smaller home. With inflation and hopefully a higher salary, you may also find that your mortgage payments become manageable. You're 53. You don't have to pay pay this loan off in seven years, and you don't need to rack up extra debt. If your mortgage servicer allows it, paying off a regular amount on your mortgage given that you are simultaneously paying off interest, can be more effective than an annual lump sum. For those who can afford to pay extra, both are good ideas as long as you ensure you have necessities such as an emergency fund. If the goal is to pay down the mortgage faster, ask your mortgage lender if you're able to make additional principal-only payments and if there are any prepayment penalties. A principal-only payment would help save on interest and allow you to pay off your mortgage early. If allowed, you can increase your monthly payment or make larger annual lump sum payments directly to the mortgage company. Waltzer is more circumspect on the benefits of the home ownership than I am. He warns that your mortgage interest rate could also exceed 5% if you, la- if you have a low credit score. Home ownership costs are always more than expected. If you're purchasing a $260,000 house, I presume... You will put 10% down, which is 26000 which I don't know if he even said he has that. But closing costs will be quite a bit more. So you're probably looking closer to 40000 Is that going to be wrapped into your mortgage? Lay out all your options, 15 versus 30 years. The pros and the cons of paying extra versus saving that money. Insurance and property taxes, home repairs, closing costs, potential bidding wars. The shorter the term, 15-year mortgage rather than a 30-year mortgage the lower the interest payment. Still, rates are rising. Monthly mortgage payments within a 30-year mortgage rate and a 20% down payment are roughly 50% more expensive than they were a year ago. And finally, the moneyist is an optimist most of the time. You may not be single forever. (laughs) So that'd be, you know, a little extra income. But anyways, so his idea was was hideous. Um, And so... He spelled that out. All right, I put a $200,000... I put $200,000 toward a down payment for a condo unit with my boyfriend. He is on the title, but not on the mortgage. How do I protect my equity investment now? Hmm. I recently sold my apartment and put the equity earned over $200,000 toward a new condo unit. I own with my partner. My partner, we are not married, is on the title, but not on the mortgage. He pays half of all expenses monthly without fail. What would be the best way to document and protect my equity in the event that we split up? Shit, you can't. Why'd you put him on there? Wow. We are not married. 
You, I mean, you're gonna. It's, it's a partnership. If he signed the document, then he's on there. That was stupid. Hmm. I'm stumped on this one. Um, my feeling is that this person's fucked, and not in a good way. <laughs> um, why? Why would you do that? Why? Put him on the mortgage so he's responsible for part of, for half of it. But you got you put in over two hundred thousand uh, people. People, people. I think I think this person's fucked. All right, so let's see. File this under R for real estate or R for rut roll. <laughs> if he's on the title, he should be on the mortgage. Creates an imbalance of power within the property ownership agreement. Not only have you invested two hundred thousand, but you are shouldering all of the risk. If your relationship with this man sours and he walks away, you will be left to make the payments to avoid you losing your home and damaging your credit rating, not him. So she was gonna buy it anyway. Or he. I don't know. I don't know. This person doesn't really say if they're a man or a woman. What's more, if you pay the mortgage off he will still be entitled to his 50% share of the property should you sell it. Bing, bing. It's a win-win for him. You also took $200,000 of your own money and commingled it in a shared asset. It's a cautionary tale and a textbook example of what to avoid when buying a property with a partner, particularly one whom you are not married. I'm assuming your partner had a lower salary and her credit rating, and for that reason you decided to put your own name on the mortgage. It's an unusual arrangement, one, but one that should, while your relationship is healthy and strong, be addressed. If you put him on the mortgage, you would have to refinance and rates have likely risen since your purchase. A cohabitation agreement is a wise move for unmarried couples, especially those who own a home. It is a contract, a de facto prenuptial agreement. You both agree to the terms and conditions. What happens to the house if you split up or one of you predeceases the other? Do you sell the property and split the proceeds 50-50? Who, for instance, is your health care proxy? You should specify in that agreement that you both get back what you invested in the home if your boyfriend has not contributed to the down payment. You can frame the conversation about the cohabitation agreement around your living situation include, and include your position on the property you jointly own. As always, have an attorney review anything before you sign. I wish you many happy years together in your new home. Yeah, people. Man, they screwed the pooch on that one. Not cool. Um, all right, I've got one more here. I'm being to take advantage of my own husband. I pay all the bills and give the down payment for our house. And all he does is buy stuff and contribute it to his 401k. All right. I've been taken advantage of by my own husband. I've been married for almost 10 years. When my husband and I were first married, he convinced me to stop working after the first year or so, which I regret. A couple of years ago, my mom died, leaving me very small inheritance of around 60000 We decided to use some of this money to purchase a house. My husband and I both had negative lines on our credit reports, so I paid off everything. I told him to build credit. We'd likely need a few credit cards to make small purchases and payments on. 
He ignored me until a lender gave him the same advice, stating that I should be added to two of his cards as an authorized user, user so both of us could build credit. He did not follow his advice. We found a home that we loved, but he would not put me on the mortgage, saying my credit wasn't good enough. Yet I made the down payment, paid closing costs, paid for the actual move, paid the final bills at the old house, bought furniture for the new house, and supported us for the first two months. I also started working again, and I make almost as much as he does per year being self-employed. I continue to make the mortgage payments even though I am not on the loan, although I am on the title deed. As luck would have it, our home value has increased dramatically, so we decided to take out a small home equity loan for a couple of repairs. I went through my bank because they offered a fixed rate. They also refinanced my car and gave me a credit card with a $5,000 limit. I suggested that my husband ask about refinancing his truck, and he also got a great rate, but he was given a credit card with a $15,000 limit because his credit is better, thanks to me. I have to put him on the home equity loan because his credit is better. I'm angry because I pay all the bills, aside from his personal truck and credit cards. He contributes 11% to his 401k. I also have to pay $10,000 a year in income tax because of being self-employed, and he will only contribute $2,000 to that amount. I feel like I'm doing all the work and he's getting all the benefits. I asked him to pay the $180 electric bill. He refused because he only had $600. He then spent $100 on frivolous things for himself. I've told him that I feel there is a serious lack of balance. He says he put a down payment on my car, so I can't complain, but that is worlds less than what I pay. Am I in the wrong here? At 52, I feel like I should be able to have my own financial profile and benefit from my hard work instead of just boosting his credit and finances. He thinks I'm being ridiculous. What do you think? This is kind of what happens. This is one of the things that I don't believe in. I don't believe that finances should be separate when you get married. This is the kind of bullshit that happens. Um, You know, it's like this money is mine and I get to pay for it however I want. And that money is yours. And I don't know. That's how some people make it work. I, I think when you get married, you join everything. Everything gets together. So she buys the house. It's for both of them. He's he should be contributing. Um, I think she needs to have a serious sit down with him, or else um, let him know she's gonna file divorce papers. Fuck that dude. Um, he's being a fucking cock. <laughs> All right, that's excessive. I just felt like saying some swear swear words. Um, but he's get he's yeah he's completely in the wrong. She. Um, she seriously needs to let him know that she's gonna she is going to sit on him and take care of this shit because this is some bullshit. Um, so that's my take on it. This I'm sure the moneyist has much more sophisticated things to tell her. Um, me, I'm just irritated with this guy. Dudes should not be doing this bullshit of just taking advantage of women and. Um, man, it just makes me want to cut off their dicks and their balls. (laughs) All right, so here we go. You need a ledger and a lawyer. 
in that order. The ledger will outline, will outline all of your expenditure and savings and clearly state how much you both contribute to your marriage. Marriage is a romantic promise to love and honor and respect each other for as long as you live, divorce notwithstanding, but it is first and foremost a financial and legal commitment. Your husband needs to uphold his end of that bargain. Set up a joint account for household expenses. No more tit for tat. Otherwise, you will be having the same argument for 20 years. If he does not uphold his end, you have a choice to make about whether you want to be in a relationship where one party is not respecting the other or pulling their weight. That's where the lawyer comes in. Ask you to, asking you to give up work is an attempt, intentional or not, to rob you of your financial agency and power in this relationship. You need to know your options and where your red lines lie, quote-unquote. That is, what is up for nego- negotiation and what is unacceptable. It's unusual for one person to be on the mortgage while both parties are on the deed, but that's good news. The mortgage is legally his responsibility to pay. However, it's in both your interests to make sure you don't default, both for your credit scores and obviously to avoid the bank foreclosing on your home. You want to avoid being on the mortgage and not not being on the title deed. That would mean you would be responsible for the mortgage but not have an ownership stake in your house. So she's she's on the deed but not on the mortgage. So she's not on the hook for the loan, but she should pay it anyway. Wisconsin is a community property state, meaning that everything you earn during the marriage is divided equally should you divorce. Inheritance is typically not included in marital community property, even if you receive that inheritance during your marriage. In the event that you have another inheritance, it's best to keep that money separate. I'm guessing your husband would do just that. But you did what you believed to be the right decision for both of you at that time. You were a team after all. From what you say, your husband appears to appreciate the advice of experts, and it takes a push for him to see things from a different perspective. For that reason, you could also enlist a mediator or financial counselor to go through your finances and your differences of opinion to help you reach an agreement so that you are not having the same conversation about who pays for what over cars, home, furniture, utilities, and groceries. You both bring in the same salary. You should be able to meet each other halfway. Interesting. So she's going to have to sit down with this dude and set him straight. I I know a couple of marriages that, that they don't commingle their money and they have each have their own expenses and what have you. And it just seems so, I don't know. It seems like you're not 100% committed to the marriage. It's kind of weird. I don't know. Anyway, so, I mean, my wife and I, we put put our money together and we have discussions about what gets spent but for the most part we make the same amount of money so we we spend however and we don't worry about it per se you know what i mean so um anyways we are at 55 minutes um i want to thank you all again for listening this week i appreciate you all um and our our next Um, meeting will be in a week or two and I'll have uh, some new stuff to talk about we won't we won't do the moneyest again for a while I I enjoyed that time and it seemed like everybody else did too Um, but I don't want to keep doing the same things so 
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me this week and take care.